Hi there, this is Robert Fleming. I'm one of the partners at the Tucson, Arizona Elder Law Firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC, and you're listening to Elder Law Issues, our weekly podcast. Actually, you're listening to me, and in a moment, one of the other partners in the firm, Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. Elizabeth, you want to let them know that you actually exist as well. Oh, hello, Robert. You can hear in the background we've got our doggy friends. Rosalind is here today, and she's got a couple of friends she's playing with in the office. So, uh, other than dogs, we had talked about dogs in the office. How's that working, having dogs in the office? Well, Robert, it's 8,000 square feet of uh, playtime all the time for them. <laughs> We've got a couple puppies. You know, Robert, I thought today we could turn the tables and I could ask you some questions. Uh, there was a pretty important day this week, and that was your 70th birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you very much. I'm very proud to have made it to 70. So I thought that I'd ask some questions, some questions that are probably pretty straightforward and others that might allow you to roam around a bit. So one of the things I wanted to know in your 70 years is how long have you been practicing as an attorney? So I was 24 when I took the bar and, and started practicing law, and so I'm in my 46th year. We'll soon celebrate 46 years. And so was that 46 years straight? Have you been practicing the whole time, or did you take off a couple of years to go hiking in Appalachia <laughs> and find yourself? Or I'm so boring. I took off a couple of years to be a judge very early in my career, and judge, uh, you kind of have to do a small j and quotations around it because I was a city magistrate, not not like a federal district judge with unlimited power. Uh, I did that for a couple of years, and then I was the Pima County public fiduciary for about five years. Um, other than those seven years, or seven or eight years, depending on how you count it, I've been practicing straight through. That's great. And tell me, what's the largest office that you've ever managed as far as caseload and then the largest office you've ever managed as far as personnel? I don't know if those are the same same uh, jobs or different jobs. Um, I think probably the largest office in terms of caseload was 40 years ago when I was the public fiduciary. We had 850 active cases on our calendar, on our uh, on our com well, I started to say computer, but that was kind of before computers. It was all done by punch cards and and uh, and, and printouts. Uh, it, but that 850 cases was a little misleading because most of them we had very nominal involvement in. I would say the largest real um, management and and um, employee base that I've worked with is right now. At Fleming and Curdy, we have about 20 people in, in addition to you and me, and, uh, and a caseload of a couple hundred trusts, conservatorships, guardianships, and, uh, and agency cases where we just act as agent on a power of attorney. And, uh, and it's a growth industry. That people are getting older and wealthier and, uh, and needing more help as we go through time. I'm kind of hoping not to get to that point myself before very long. Well, Robert, hope springs eternal. <laughs> so, <laughs> What do you know? <laughs> one of the things I wanted to ask you is when you think back to the days when you had just started practicing law, what was one of the hardest challenges for you? Maybe not a particular case, but a thing about the practice that you found really challenging. So they don't teach you in law school a thing about managing a practice. I had a really good law partner, the late Ed Vincent, who, uh, who really was a good businessman. His father had run a, 
a Ford dealership up in Cottonwood, actually, and he had learned a thing or two about managing an office there. And I can remember pretty distinctly telling him that I thought we ought to buy a photocopier. Photocopiers were not brand new, but they were not commonplace either. And we had access to one in the building. Uh, and uh, and I said, we should just have one in the office. They're not that expensive. They're a little bit exp- expensive to operate, but uh, but it would save us a lot of time. And, and his answer was, prove to me on paper that we actually can justify the photocopier. That doesn't sound like that's all that profound, but it was a terrifically profound moment for my practice. They just don't teach you that kind of a concept in law school, as you as you know yourself. Uh, that's, that's a good point, Robert. Now that you think about these four-plus decades of practice, what do you find to be one of the biggest challenges today as a practicing attorney? Oh, the technology has certainly improved our ability to do things. It has made us way more efficient, and I don't just mean you and me or Fleming and Curdy, but I mean all of us in society. Are, almost every job can be more efficient with the technology. The technology can also overwhelm us, and I think um, taming the technology is the biggest challenge. I, I know that you suffer from the same problem that I do, Elizabeth. I, if uh, During the time that we we record this podcast 10 minutes or so, each of us will have 15 or 20 new email messages in our inboxes, for instance. Yes, Robert, it's kind of a never, that's a never ending challenge. So when I consider your career and, and some of what I consider your legacy too has been advocating and supporting the autonomy of people who have disabilities, whether that be intellectual Um, or otherwise. Can you talk a little bit about the ways that you think maybe the law has changed or that maybe you've nudged the law along in Arizona? From the very early days of my involvement in the law, uh, well, I guess I can say that I passed the bar and started practicing just a couple of years after the Uniform Probate Code was adopted in Arizona. And it had a really strong uh, support for individual rights and personal autonomy that, that had not really existed in the law before that. So it, from my very early days, there was a drift toward more recognition of autonomy. In the case of guardianship and conservatorship law, particularly in mental health law, there's a, a really a dynamic tension between the desire to protect people and, and insulate them from the problems that might arise from the limitations of their abilities and yet at the same time to the extent possible to give them full reign to, to, uh, to express themselves in whatever way they want. Uh, of course, it's a cliche that eccentricity and mental illness are, uh, are adjacent to one another on some continuum, and, uh, and the challenge is to let people be as eccentric as they want to be um, and yet protect them from the, from the vicissitudes of fortune that arise from what might turn into or turn out to be mental illness. So as you think ahead, Robert, to the next few years and the next couple of decades, what are some of the goals that you have as a practitioner in terms of uh, not only improving your own practice, but what we can do for folks here in Arizona and, and what you consider to be priorities? That taming the technology is a big goal for our practice. Uh, and I know it's one you share, Elizabeth, that uh, that that we can do more and that means we take on more and that means that it's easier to fall short. So 
struggling to stay um, head above water in a growing collection of clients and, and cases that we're managing is always a struggle. And, and that's kind of what I want to focus most of the rest of my career on, which is not, by the way, a backdoor way of announcing retirement. I haven't figured that one out yet. I live with a person who's retired, and every once in a while she mentions how wonderful retirement is. But, uh, but I enjoy talking to clients and, and dealing with legal issues too much to actually quit. Well, Robert, we're happy to have you here. I would, I would tell you that when our staff was thinking about some of the highlights and what to do and how to celebrate you, there was no right way exactly. So for our listeners who were wondering where was the big birthday party invitation, we had a little cel- uh, quiet gathering in the office. But um, <laughs> I would just wanted to say to you, it's uh, really a terrific experience having you as a mentor. I appreciate it. Thank you for helping our practice and helping the really the thousands of families, not only here in Southern Arizona, but around the country. And I wanted today to be a day to a little hear about from you. So well, thank you. And thank you, by the way, the flip side of that is if you if you have a strong feeling as I do about trying to protect the practice and the individuals who are in the practice and the subjects of our trust administration and conservatorship and protect that autonomy. Um, One of the great challenges as you stare down the barrel of 70 is uh, to find somebody who will carry that sentiment forward. And you've done a fantastic job with that. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the feeling that you and Jackie and all of the staff here by Jackie, of course, I mean Jackie Mingle, our other partner, law partner, and the entire staff, everybody understands that we're really here trying to protect the individual eccentricity, right, autonomy, however you want to describe it, even as we uh, as we manage people's lives. Thanks, Robert. This was, it was fun for me. It was kind of nice to be on the other side here today. <laughs> You've been listening to Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman drilling me and me pontificating. I'm Robert Fleming. We're two of the partners at Fleming and Curdy PLC, a Tucson, Arizona elder law firm. We do this once a week while we don't pontificate and reminisce once a week, but we talk about legal issues in a podcast that we call Elder Law Issues. Oh, that's what you're listening to, and we hope you will again. Thanks. <laughs>